0: So the Bible, of course, last week we talked a little bit about the fact that the Old Testament, you can't understand the New Testament until you start to understand the Old Testament. You can't just take the, uh, well you can, you can take the, old, the New Testament and just study the New Testament. It certainly isn't going to do you any harm. Uh, but to understand the, the whole counsel of God, uh, to understand God's promises, you go back to the beginning. You go back to the beginning. Uh, and you go back to, to God initially working in the lives of, of Adam and Eve when they fell in the garden. You go to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and God's faithfulness in their lives. And and you begin to learn and understand as you read through uh, Genesis that God is faithful even when his servants are faithless. And that is is perhaps... Uh, other than the fact of knowing right from the beginning of the book of Genesis in the garden that God has prepared for us a Savior, that we needed to be saved and rescued from our own sin, but then to learn that those that God calls, even when they are faithless and even when they fall short of the glory of God again and again and again, God remains faithful. God remains true. I love that portion of Scripture that says He cannot deny Himself that we have been made a part of the beloved, that we are made a part of the body of Jesus Christ, and he won't deny himself. And so no matter how bad we fail or how far we fall, God is always faithful to respond to our cries when we call out to him. But we have to call out to him. And that's the other thing that we're going to learn in the Old Testament. As he's going to begin to work in the children of Israel, he lays out for them the law. He lays out for them, these are my statutes and these are my commandments and if you walk in them, I will be with you. You will be my people and I will be your God and I will bless you in everything that you do and everywhere that you go. But the opposite of that is also true. If you go a-whoring after other gods, And if you don't do the things that I've commanded you to do, and you do not walk in my precepts, then I'm not going to bless you. I'm not going to be with you, and you are going to see that manifested in your life. Well, what do the kids do? (laughs) They fly off the path. They worship other gods. They do everything that God commands them not to do. Now, initially here, when God is speaking to the children of Israel through Moses and laying out his commandments, He says, they say, All that the Lord has commanded, we will do. And you know what? I think they meant it. I really think that they meant it with all of their hearts. For all of their imperfections and for all of their failures and all the times that they fell off the path, I believe that they meant that. And I believe that is what God continues to honor in the nation of Israel as we go down through the Old Testament. Just like He honors that in us. You remember that day when the Lord finally broke through in your heart and in your life, and you made that confession that you knew unequivocally, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God, that He really did die on the cross for my sins, and He needs to be my Lord and my Savior, uh, not just in word, but indeed He needs to be the Lord of my life. Do you remember that? And that good confession that you made that day, God, I want to follow you. And all that you command me to do, I want to do. He remembers that. He remembers that. And he honors that day by day, even when we blow it. Now, uh, in Exodus chapter 23, God dealing with the children of Israel, and there's a lot of common sense laws that that God gave the children of Israel. Um, You know, you shall not show partiality to a poor man. Um, if, you're, if your enemy's oxen or donkey goes astray, you bring it back to them. This is loving your neighbor as yourself. Don't pervert the judgment of your poor. Keep yourself from fall. These kind of things ought to be common sense, right? There are certain things that are just natural for the children of God. We are children of what? The light, right? In God, the Bible says there is no darkness at all. Uh, And it says, if we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet we walk in darkness, what? We lie and the truth is not in us. You cannot claim to be a child of God, to be a follower of Jesus Christ and walk in darkness. Those things are, are mutually exclusive. Saying that you're a follower of Christ and walking in darkness, do not go together. Do not go together. And Jesus makes this very, very clear. He makes it very clear why do you call me lord and yet you don't do the things that i say and then we have the example of the fig tree remember when jesus walked up to the fig tree it was it was the time of year when the figs were in season there should have been figs and there was the appearance of figs there was the leaves but there was no fruit there and jesus cursed the tree and the parable of the talents it goes on and on jesus christ has called us to walk in his steps. He's called us to be obedient children. So most, I would say, so many things of, of, of what God lays out for the children of Israel in the Old Testament, man, it's common sense. It just goes along with walking in the light. You know, one of the things I always say uh, around here is, look at, we're all a bunch of screwballs, right? Every single person sitting here has got some issues, don't you? You all do, we all do. As long as we walk in these bodies of flesh... We got issues, and these are the things that you in your personal life, when you're praying to God and you're, or you're in your, in your car and you're agonizing over, God knows these things and here's these things. And our job, one to another, is to come together to this place to study the Word of God, to, we, to be equipped by this Word of God. but our fellowship and our fellowship in serving and worshiping God is also to encourage one another, right? to encourage one another. Uh, and 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 to, to be there for one another. you know. So we're not looking for perfection, but one of the things I always say is be nice. Be nice. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to be nice. I'm not saying be something that you're not. Okay? And some people are very gregarious and outgoing, and some people are not. That's okay. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't you ever try to be somebody that you're not, But be nice. Be nice. If you look at people and you're dealing with people and in your heart you're just like, oh, they disgust me. That is not the spirit of Christ. That is not the spirit of Christ. And the spirit ought to be made manifest in you by how you treat other people. It's not that hard. Be nice. Be nice. God is the judge. I don't have to worry about judging people. I don't have to, well, we're supposed to be fruit inspectors, brother. Okay, listen, okay? You know a tree by the fruit that it bears, but it's not my job to go around cursing fig trees, okay? That's Jesus' job. My job is to love and to spread the word and to encourage people. And so much of what God commands the children of Israel, you know, and Jesus, when he's talking with the teachers of the law, he sums it all up. It's all summed up in two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hinge all. How many is all? All the law and the prophets. Don't you worry about, you know, Christians want to do everything but the most basic things. You know what I'm saying? Christians want to follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament. They want to you know because I, you know, I just I feel I'll be I feel extra servy towards God. You know what I mean? Like extra Christian-y. It's like I'm a Christian and a Jew. You know what I mean? And and I, I I want to do all these extra just love God and love people. Because we know from the book of Corinthians what God says about people who have all sorts of gifts and do all sorts of things for God and for the kingdom but don't love people, right? It's useless. It's useless. God says, do what I called you to do. But God, I'm over here serving you like this. Did I call you to do that? Maybe. Maybe not. But every single Christian has two callings in their lives. Two commandments. Love the Lord your God. And if you love him, you'll walk in the light. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, uh, we're going to skip down to verse 14 and start from there. 23 chapter 23 verse 14 three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread you shall eat unleavened bread seven days as i commanded you at the time appointed in the month of abib for in it you came out of egypt and none shall appear before me empty now this this coincided with passover uh, and of course passover is a celebration of what their deliverance from egypt which is a picture of what for us our deliverance from sin, our deliverance from bondage, our deliverance from this world. That's the the significance of the, the blood of the Lamb being put on the doorposts of the home. And the angel of death would pass over that home when the blood was on the doorposts. Jesus Christ's blood was shed and sprinkled on the doorposts of our hearts so that the angel of death will pass over us. And right along with that is this feast of unleavened bread. Every single thing in your house that contained leaven was to be removed from your house. Now we know from the scriptures that leaven is a picture, okay, not literally, guys, but it's a picture for us of sin because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In Mark chapter 8 verse 15, remember Jesus said, Charged them, saying, Take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. In 1 Corinthians 5, 8, it says, Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Leaven is a picture of sin. Now, what does leaven do in bread? It corrupts. It fluffs it up. It makes it yummy, right? That's why your yum-yum bread is yum-yum bread, right? You don't ever have a delicious, juicy cheeseburger on unleavened bread. That's disgusting. How dare you? Really? Right? You don't make French toast with unleavened bread. You don't have a submarine sandwich on unleavened bread unless you've got problems, you know? It's because it's uh, leavened bread is the yum-yum bread. But that same leaven that causes it to rise and be fluffy and delicious and fragrant also causes it to rot. Also causes it to rot. It is a picture of sin. It's all the things that in your flesh are yummy. It's so yummy. Don't lie. Don't act like as a Christian, those things are not yummy anymore. And maybe some of them aren't. Maybe some of the things that you used to not be able to get away to from now disgust you. And that's fantastic. But if we're honest, there's still plenty of the things of this world and of our flesh that are like, (laughs) yummy, yummy. But what? And they may not even be destructive in and of themselves. But always, anything that is of this world can do nothing towards furthering your spiritual growth and your walk in Jesus Christ. And ultimately, the things of this world rot. Ultimately, they rot. They may start out wonderful. They may start out doing no harm. But ultimately, the things of this world, once they drag you in, rot. We need to be aware of that. Uh, And verse 16, in the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. There's a feast when it's time to gather in the fruits of your labor, when it's time to, en- to enjoy the harvest of the work that you've done in your hands, the first thing that you do is you go to God and you say, thank you for this. Well, wait a minute. I did all the work, <laughs> right? I did all the God blesses the work of your hands. If you're a child of God and you're walking in the Spirit and you're walking with God, God wants to bless the work of your hands. And when God blesses the work of your hands, what do we do? What do we do? We honor him with that. There's an understanding. God wanted them to have this. When you bring in the first fruits of your harvest, I want you to appear before me and offer up to me the first fruits. What are they saying? God, you're preeminent. Nothing that we have in this life, none of the blessings that we enjoy in this life would be possible if it weren't for you. Three times in the year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice, here it is, with leavened bread. Nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. Well, what was God saying there? He wants all of it consumed. He wants us to have all of him, and he wants to have all of us. That sacrifice, that beautiful barbecue... That God required from the hand of his kids to offer up that burnt offering, a fragrant offering before heaven, God said, Don't leave any of it. Don't leave anything back. Don't hold anything back. Let it all be consumed, all of it. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And we talked a little bit about that. That the, the, the whole point of that was that was a Canaanite practice. They would chop up uh, a baby goat, boil it in its mother's milk, and, and spread the milk over the land as a blessing. It's a Canaanite practice. God says, don't do anything like they do it. God never intended it to become a kosher law. Okay? That was not the purpose of it. Okay? There's two kinds of meat in, in, in kosher dietary laws. There's, there's flesh and there's fish. Okay? So I can't have chicken with cheese. That's a problem for me. Okay, have you ever had chicken wings? What do you do with chicken wings? You submerge them in chunky blue cheese, and then you slop it into your grill, right? Chicken and cheese is a must-have. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you the meat. I'll give you cow, even, right? Because it can produce milk, and goats can't produce. But chicken? How are you to tell me? I can't have, ch- it's not possible to boil a chicken in its mother's milk. Okay? Anyway, that's kosher. Don't argue with them, please. Just, you go to Israel, just eat what they give you, okay? <laughs> just eat what they give you. We we had the, when we would do the, 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 the meals, you know, it was, it was, it was like, oh, wow, wow, you know, and you got your steak and your and your rolls and you're looking for butter. Where's the butter? Oh, you, you can't have any dairy. Oh, you can't have any dairy. What, what kind of country is this, you know? You just, you, just, you, just, you just do it, right? Okay. <clears throat> Verse 20. Now now here's where I want to spend a little time. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Um, so I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about this angel of the Lord. And uh, any of you who have been around for a while, you've you've, you've probably heard this. But I just, I just kind of wanted to go over it and, and I looked up, let's, let's, let me explore this, you know, this angel of the Lord and look through some of the scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about this angel of the Lord. Now there's, there's two different rest of references to angels of the Lord. All of the angels are angels of the Lord, right? They belong to him. They live and exist to serve and worship the Almighty God. They're all angels of the Lord. But then there's the angel, capital V, capital A, angel of the Lord. And he stands apart from the other angels. And it's very interesting uh, the capacity that he has in the Old Testament. Uh, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to fly through these. You can, you can write down the, the verses. Uh, if you're really fast, you can, you can with your Bible app, you can follow along. Okay? Genesis chapter 22, verses 11 and 12. But the angel of the Lord, capital A, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham... So he said, Here I am. And he said, This is the angel of the Lord. Do not lay your hand upon the lad or do anything for him, to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This is the angel of the Lord speaking. You have not withheld your only son from me. Well, who commanded Abraham to offer Isaac? God. Exodus chapter 3. Verses 1 and 2, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the capital A, angel of the Lord, appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. What What was in the bush? What was the burning bush? It was the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush. Um, in the book of Judges, chapter six, um, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, "The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor." Now, this is again capital A angel of the Lord. Um, and then down in ver this that was I'm sorry that was verse twelve and verse fourteen to twenty four. Then the Lord turned to him and said. Go in this might of yours. Now this is still the angel of the Lord that has appeared to Gideon and is speaking to him. And it says the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You guys remember the story of Gideon. And the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, capital H, he said, I will wait until you come back. Now here is the angel of the Lord, who I'm trying to show you clearly, is Jesus Christ, right? Because he has all the attributes and worship that is reserved for God alone. Here he is, the angel of the Lord. And Gideon says, wait right there while I go prepare a sacrifice. You know you know how long it takes to cook a goat? Right? It's just not something that just... He doesn't have one in the fridge. Let me just throw it in the microwave, man. I'll be... Ten minutes. Ten minutes. i just going to make some garnish. I'll, I'll micro-zap the, the goat and we're back. No, no. He's got to go get a goat. He's got to kill a goat. He's got to butcher the goat he's got to cook the goat know you don't understand to prepare a meal it's no small thing the angel said i'll wait (laughs) and so he's just standing there you know what i mean waiting for gideon i don't know i think about this stuff the angel of the lord's got better things to do than wait for gideon to cook who knows if it was even any good right he's just sitting there waiting i'll wait so gideon went and prepared a young goat an unleavened bed from an ephah of flour he made bread he waited the meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him capital h under the terebinth tree and presented them then the capital a angel of god said to him take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock that sounds sounds interesting doesn't it and pour out the broth so he did so Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now Gideon perceived (laughs) he perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. So it's like the angel of the Lord disappeared, and Gideon goes, Oh no, I've seen the angel of God, I'm going to die. And then the angel of the Lord peeks back out from between the veil of dimensions and goes, Peace be with you, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Peace be with you, and do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day it is still an opera of the Abirazites. Uh, Judges chapter 13. This is when the angel of the Lord appears to Samson's parents. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord, capital A, says to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name that when your words come to pass we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord, you ready for the goosebumps, said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Oh, boy. Wonderful counselor. Remember that? What is your name? Why do you ask my name? Since it is wonderful. I love that. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing. While Manoah and his wife looked on, it happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Don't tell me this is just some angel. Don't tell me this is just some angel. This angel accepts sacrifices. This angel has the attributes of God. Um, When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord, and Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted. Thank God for our wives. Thank God for our wives, you big dummies, right? When we're all, or whatever. And, you, and, and your wife would just speak, speak clarity into your heart. Manoah's like, oh, we're going to die. We've seen God. It's all over for us. His wife's like, M- you, Manoah, why would he just give us all his promises? He appeared to us. And then he's going to kill us? Not, I don't think that's how it's going to work. And, uh, oh, oh, yeah. That's a good point. Good point. He's a meathead, just like his son was going to be a meathead, right? His wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. Now, Zechariah. Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Uh, Joshua is the high priest in Israel at that time. Zechariah is a prophet of God, and he has a vision. Uh, he's in, he's, he's, he has a vision of a scene in heaven, and this is what he, see, he sees. The angel of the Lord appears to, to Zechariah and shows him this. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him and the lord said to satan the lord rebuke you satan the lord who has chosen jerusalem rebuke you is this not a brand plucked from the fire now joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel capital a then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying take away the filthy garments from him And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. Let me ask you a question. Would an angel tell any servant of God, I have removed your iniquity from you? Who removes iniquity? Who specifically removes iniquity? I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said... Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put their clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk amongst those who stand here. And then in Zechariah chapter 12, in verse 8, it says this, In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before him. Okay? So, back to Exodus. Okay, let's rewind. Back to Exodus, chapter 23, and God is speaking to Moses, and he's giving them his commandments, and he's giving them these these statutes and laws, and he says... The angel of the Lord, he brings out the angel of the Lord is going before you to keep you in the way and to bring you and bring you in the place where I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. So we have this picture that this angel of the Lord was going before the children of Israel into the promised land and that he specifically was going to be there watching. And now that gives you a whole new perspective when you read through the book of Judges. When you read through the book of Judges and you see the ebb and flow of the nation of Israel as they would fall into idolatry and almost immediately they would be given over to their enemies. And their enemies would begin to conquer them and take land from them and and have dominion over them and oppress them. And then invariably the angel of the Lord would appear to one of the judges and Set forth either a prophecy or immediately anoint them, like in the case of Gideon, to deliver the people. And so you start to get this picture that this angel of the Lord, who has the attributes of God, is not figuratively, right? He is there. He is there with the children of Israel as they go into the promised land, and he's watching them. He's watching over them. Pretty, pretty amazing. Verse 24, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. This is interesting. Little by little... I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, that would be the Mediterranean, Philistia, and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Uh, a couple of interesting things. First of all, uh, in verse 25 where it says, You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you, and no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. Without without getting into um, a whole theological uh direction or dispute here a lot of the attributes or not attributes but a lot of the promises that god made to the children of israel to the physical nation of israel a lot of christians and a lot of churches try to take those promises and apply them to the church where they don't belong okay you know what our promise is we're a bunch of wild olive branches that have been ingrafted into the olive tree God has not promised the Christian who obeys him and serves him and follows and walks in the way of Jesus Christ. God has not promised any of us health or wealth or prosperity. Okay? And the very simple matter of the fact is that this is one of the only countries on the face of the planet where anyone could claim that that was true. Go tell the Iranian Christians, if you just had a little faith, brother, Go tell the Russian Christians. Go tell Chinese Christians. Go tell Christians in Pakistan. Go tell Christians in the Sudan. God doesn't want you to be sick. God wants to drive your enemies from before you. You cannot preach that message to any of those people. Hopefully, if you got an ounce of shame, right? That's only in America where we can have that because we are so rich. And I want God to bless everything that I have and everything that I do. And that can be good, and that can also be selfish. I want God to back my plans. I want God to back what I'm doing. And so often, if I'm, if I'm being blessed, and I believe it all comes from God anyways, but if I'm being blessed, I'm having good things, it's because, it's because I'm doing right by God. That's not always the case, is it? What does David say? Why do the heathen prosper? Why, why do the heathen prosper? Why do you allow that, God? God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I can tell you when my wife and I had a miscarriage, it had nothing to do with being disobedient to God. When my nephew died of cancer, it had nothing to do with anybody being disobedient to God. And we prayed and we begged God and we trusted in him that he had the power and the ability to heal Caden. And he didn't. He took him. So I got two choices. I'm not a good Christian, number one, which that's true. Or God's not a good father. And you got, you got, you got, some, you got some decisions to make. And I think when you read through scriptures, again, and study it as a whole and understand the nature of God, God works in mysterious ways. That's a great phrase. And God does things according to His ways, not mine. And a lot of times that means that God allows things to happen or, or, or lets things happen that don't make any sense to us, that may even seem cruel or mean to us. You know why? Because we're not God. And we don't know His ways. Our job is to serve him to the best of our ability and no matter what befalls us or what comes our way, that we remain faithful to him. God, you've given, you've taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God, have your way, your perfect way in me. And if it's the way of pain or if it's the way of sickness or if it's the way of loss to glorify and magnify your name, then so be it. I am your servant. I'm your servant. Have your way. And let me tell you something, that's where the true spiritual reward is found. It's being able to truly rest in God that way. God, whether it's good stuff or bad stuff, what does Paul talk about? Whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full, I've learned in all circumstances to abound in Christ. And that's when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He wasn't talking about scoring touchdowns or dunking basketballs or, or being, being successful financially. That's not what he talking about at all. I know how no matter if I'm getting my face kicked in or if I'm being exalted, I can glorify God. That's the victory that we have in Jesus. Now, um, he, I love where he says, I'll send hornets before you. There's a, there's a portion in, um, oh boy, it's in Second Samuel where uh, when, when David, because of his, his sin against God, his son Absalom is raised up in rebellion against him and David is driven uh, from Jerusalem and he's driven from his palace and um, he just had, David had just such a meek soul when it came to his relationship with God. I'm sure there's plenty of people that said he's an arrogant jerk, Right? But when it came to God dealing with David, he was so meek and humble in his, in his dealings with God. When God was dealing with him, when he was being driven from his palace and driven from Jerusalem, and, and, and uh, who was the guy that was following him at a distance? Remember? His? Shimei, yeah. Shimei, yeah, Shimei. He was following him at a distance and cursing him. You're a man of blood. You're a man of blood. And David's men were like, uh, can we go just chop his head off real quick? I mean, be quiet. We, we don't like noisy people on trips. Let me go chop this dude's head off real quick. And David said, What have I to do with you? What have I to do with you? What if God has told him to go curse David? So let him curse. He's throwing dung at the king, the one who killed Goliath. You know what I mean? And David says, I accept this too from the hand of God. But later on, when God is bringing David back into his place as king and giving him the kingdom back, and there's this battle that's fought against David's army and the armies of his son Absalom. And as they're going through the forest, the Bible has this interesting passage where it says more people were killed that day by the forest than by the sword. And that's so interesting and fascinating to me. One time we were listening to Pastor Chuck Smith preach, and I went up to him afterwards at that portion of Scripture, and I said, Pastor Chuck, what do you think this means? And he goes, think it means that there more were killed by the forest than by the sword. I'm like, what? All I can see in my mind is the Wizard of Oz. Remember the trees? She was hungry, you know. They're throwing apples at him, like hard apples. (laughs) uh, But the forest comes alive and is killing Absalom's men. Don't you want that DVD? Like, hello, hornets. I'll send hornets. During the the Six-Day War, there are accounts of, uh, of... Tank battalions, Egyptian tank battalions being driven from their tanks by bees. By bees. Wow. When God says, I'll fight for you, he ain't kidding. He ain't kidding. I love that stuff. Now, the last thing I want to say real quick is is just that it's, it's very notable that God says not all at once. Isn't it? It's very notable here, and he makes a point. He makes a point to make this point. Not all at once, lest the land become desolate. You you think you need to have something all at once, don't you? I need this entire promise fulfilled. Today would be good, Lord, preferably before lunch. You know, it would be nice, you know. Uh, no, no. God allows things and, and the victories that we have in our lives, years. There's a body of work that God is establishing in you. And this body of work is not overnight. It's year after year after year, little by little, God is having his perfect way in our hearts and in our lives. You know you know how, and you guys have all seen the cycle, haven't you? A, a brand new baby Christian. You know what I'm saying? Last week they were, they were into everything naughty, right? Everything. They get saved. They get radically saved. The next week they're entirely sanctified. You ever said they're entirely sanctified? What do you mean? You went and saw a movie? Uh, it's not pleasing to the Lord, brother. It's not what God would do, brother. You know. What, do you mean? what was that? Marvel? That's Thor, the God of Thunder. Idol worshippers. You know. anybody ever do that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like the biggest jerk in the world, and then I'm walking with the Lord, and I'm like. <laughs> I don't even think to hope the rapture doesn't come today because I'll be the only one leaving here, you know. And then time goes on, and you realize I guess I wasn't as victorious as I thought I was because all that stuff we want it, and I think I think God, you know, it's like a baby. You know, you you watch a baby do just about anything; they're dumb. You know what I mean? Really, true babies are dumb. They don't do anything right. This is drool, you know. Right? Yeah. They're goofy. They they can't do anything. What is it about a baby, right? You think you'd be like, you make me sick. You can't just crawl away, crawl away. You disgust me. Is that how we feel? You know. Oh, there's nothing so precious. There's nothing, to just squish them, you squeeze them, you know, they're so delicious. I think that's how God sees baby Christians, right? That's how God sees baby Christians. Like, just look at her, <laughs> you know. God is going to do a great work. God is going to do a great work. But what is he doing? And the Bible says later on that God used these other nations, specifically he used them to do what? To test Israel, to test Israel, God never ever wants, remember when David, you know, David was always, he was a man of war, he was a man of battle, he was a man of action, and then one time he decided to stay back, you remember that, the incident with a lady, her name was I think Bathsheba, ah, King, you don't need to go to war anymore, you don't need to be in the fight anymore, you stay back and enjoy all the success that God has given you, how'd that turn out? Well, it turned out great, actually, because they had Solomon later, <laughs> so God is good. But that specific incident was bad, one of the worst things. It was the worst thing David ever did in his life, because he took, 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 took one off. God wants us spiritually to be continually in the fray. He talks about us being ready. In Ephesians 6, he talks about putting on the full armor of God, feet shod with the gospel of Readiness. Ready, always willing, always ready, people of action, people always looking to do the work of God and on the defense and looking for the attacks of the enemy. God always wants that of his kids. And he was going to use these nations to keep Israel on their toes and to actively keep them in need of him. And God's going to allow lots of stuff in your life, I guarantee it, to keep you actively in need of Him. Maybe even some of those things you think, God surely wouldn't want this thing in my life, and I've begged Him to take this thing out of my life. And I think God's ultimate plan is for us to have victory over sin, but in the meantime, as He's working in your life, He will use that very sin to humble your butt. Because we get too big for our britches. Sometimes, well, pretty good, pretty good. I think it's about time, Lord. I'm ready to start raising people from the dead, Lord. Anytime you're ready, you know. And then, and then, and then you, and then that thought comes into your head, or you fall to that same old thing, and you're like, not only am I not ready to raise people from the dead, I think I need to be raised from the dead again. God allows that because He wants us to be true and pure of heart and so he allows the battle heavenly father thank you so much for your word and thank you lord for the promises uh, that we have in you lord we glorify you we praise you we thank you pray that you bless our time of fellowship today lord and our next service as well we pray lord that you prepare the hearts of all who will be here lord to receive your your word of truth lord from our pastor and that you'd be preparing him father to, to, to speak the truth to us and that you would anoint him Lord, we pray, Father, for those who, who, who need a touch from you today, Lord, that, that they, would, they would find that, Lord, not maybe in the way that they think, Lord, but they would have an encounter with you today, Lord, and hear your voice calling to them, Lord, to follow after you, to step into the light, uh, to do the things that you've called them to do, Father. Have your way in us, Lord. Uh, thank you so much for the blessing that we have of being able to gather, the freedom that we have to gather together and worship you. In this place, Lord, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us. Lord, help us to show our gratitude through our obedience and our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.